I V M. This is Storytellers and Storysellers live on tape. You're listening to me, Vinny Kanabar, on the IVM Podcast Network. Now, every week we talk to interesting people from the world of entertainment. And as you know, we have a very, very loose definition of entertainment. Today, though, the guest we have on this show creates the kind of entertainment that I really like watching after I've consumed questionable substances. And in, in other times as well, I love watching wildlife stuff. And when I found out the kind of work that my guest today does, and when I was doing my research on his work, I was blown away by the creativity, the passion, and the skill with which he's doing this. Please give a storyteller's welcome to Suryash Keshri, a wildlife photographer, creator, who quit his job at 21, was it, I think? And then decided to head into the wilderness with a camera and now with with her car. And he's been doing some amazing stuff over the past few years. I'm stoked to have you on the show, Suresh. Welcome to Storytellers. Thank you so much, Vineet, and the entire team for hosting me. That's a warm welcome. And, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. I love connecting with people in the entertainment industry. And, and it's such a pleasure to meet you virtually right now. And I look forward to meeting you in person sometime as well. Thank you for hosting me on the show. Thanks for making time, man. Let me continue with your introduction for a little bit. And then I'll throw my sure. sort of question over to you, right? If I'm getting this right, and please feel free to correct me. You started wildlife photography at 17, 18? When, when no, was it? so I was, I actually have been into wildlife since I was four or five years old. Oh, wow. And yeah, I grew up in central India. Wildlife was always close by. And I where, started where photography, Madhya Pradesh and Chhattisgarh. Oh, lovely. I'm from Nagpur. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's also central India. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It started very early when I was eight or nine. I just right. picked up a camera because for me, it was always about wildlife. Mm-hmm. And the camera was only a way to tell stories and take photos just to enjoy nature more uh, and, and preserve that in my mind and memory and share it with others. So I started very early and then slowly later I got into filmmaking. So 16, 17 is when I got into filmmaking. And then by 18, 19, I, be- I started becoming what I've always wanted to. And that's a wildlife presenter. And that's my core work. I present in front of camera and, and, and do conservation projects and film projects uh, for a lot of entities. Yeah. Love it. And at 19, you were awarded Nature's Best Photography Asia Award for a photograph of a six-month-old tigress. Yes. Which was exhibited at the Smithsonian. Yes. Which is insane, right? Like... (laughs) I mean, it was insane for me as well. And believe it or not, uh, you know how people are like, oh, deadline, I got that will put it up. Mm-hmm. And literally, I submitted that. That was my first award I submitted to. Mm-hmm. And I submitted one and a half hour before the deadline because someone asked me to submit it. Because I didn't even know about the award. So Love it, it, it was amazing. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I'd love to check that picture out, which I should. Sure. But the thing that, I mean, while doing my research, the thing that I really want to start this this conversation in earnest about is Safari with Suyash. And for my listeners, if you don't know about Safari with Suyash, go and just Google Safari with Suyash. Look, watch the trailer. Okay. It looks like no wildlife show I have ever seen. It's amazing. I think season one was at Bandhavgarh, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Season right? one was at Bandhavgarh. And it's you with, I'm guessing, like a very small crew maybe a couple of guys I think is what it looks like yeah at that time it was just me and the driver and the guide 
Right. And then they used to sometimes hold the camera. I used to be recording myself with my GoPro and my phone. At that time, in 2019, when we started out, it was very, very rudimentary. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, like when we came out with the end result, it was really, really good and people loved it. I mean, it looks epic. Where did you get this idea from? And how, how did this come about, right? You taking a car, just you, a driver and a guide, a camera setup into what is, well, a legendary national park when you, when you really yeah. think about it. How did you start with this? The idea actually came about when I quit my job in Washington, D.C. I used to be working at a political advocacy firm and I right. studied in Washington, D.C. As you do. <laughs> yeah, very different from what I'm doing right now, you know, chasing tigers or being stalked by tigers. At that time, it was donkeys or elephants there. I mean, which is... Yeah, donkeys or elephants. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I came back. I quit my job, came back. I knew that all my life, I wanted a show that I presented mm-hmm. in front of camera. Always, I believed that people from all across the world come and present on Indian wildlife, film, on, film Indian wildlife. Mm-hmm. Why can't an Indian present on Indian wildlife? Right. Indians film it, but why can't they present in front of camera? Uh, and why can't a young guy do it? It's usually, you know, men in their f- late 40s or 50s doing it. And I see they have a lot of experience, but so can a 23-year-old when he has spent most of his life in the jungles. Mm-hmm. And then I started filming with no goal and motive, but like within 10, 15 days, the idea came through of like, what am I trying to show? What I was trying to show is, how a safari is and why is it such an educational, impactful, adventurous and fun experience. Right. And then we were like, okay, let's come up with a name, come up with a name, safari, 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 safari. It's yours. It just came. I don't know. I, I can't pinpoint exactly when it came. Mm-hmm. Just during then it came. And then I realized that, you know, I want to connect people with nature by taking them on a safari virtually mm-hmm. or in person. And I want to do that for the rest of my life. And that's where the idea came through. And we pitched to a lot of organizations. They said no. Then finally, WWF International, uh, we mm-hmm. had pitched three episodes to them. They loved it. And we're like, you know what? It's going to work out. Yeah, Love it. How did you prepare for, for something like this? I mean, I'm sure you've had your experiences shooting in the wildlife. But yeah. how do you prepare for something like this? And, and how long did it take you? What kind of permissions did you need? Yeah. How, how did you prepare yourself for it? If you look at it, there was a lot of preparation and planning involved, even though I didn't know about it. I had spent most of my time when I'm in India, in Bandhagar National Park. I would hardly even meet family and friends. My friends would be pissed off. My family would be missing me a lot. And I would miss them too. But the jungles always called me, you know, the Mm -hmm. tigers and the leopards and the sloth bears were always calling me. The trees were calling me. And it always felt like home. So 10, 11 years already in Bandhagar. And... I'd gone to know so many tigers since they were tiny cubs. Imagine following cub uh, tigers from this age to the to the age that they're as big as a vehicle. Wow. Uh, you know, 10, 11 years. It felt like we were growing up together. Like I make mistakes, they make mistakes, they fail, I fail. We've had many tigers who died over the over the years, and it's you know it's it's as bad as losing a pet because. You get connected to them, even though they're completely wild. I would mm-hmm. never even try touching a tiger. They're not pets, but there is some kind of a connection. Of course. And I think that that all of that was preparation at that point because slowly I was inching towards the story, whether I knew it or not. 
that's what people say, right? Don't focus on the goal, focus on the process. And I mm-hmm. think I was focusing on the process. Mm-hmm. And then I had to, once I, once I wanted to film, I had to apply for permissions with the government. You can do safaris regularly as well. You can book them online. Mm-hmm. But for filming, you need to take specific permissions, um, which are very costly. And thankfully from my job, I had a good bit of savings, which I was right. able to put in money for. Uh, otherwise, I would not be able to do it. I would have to do, raise external funding. And I put it together and, and, and that's where I started seeing the story of Safai Utsuyash come together. And then at three episodes, we were like, okay, let's start releasing it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere deep down, I was like, you know what? No, I, 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 just, I don't want to just release it on YouTube because it's not, it's not like a, uh, it's not fast and easy to produce wildlife content as it right. might be with a vlog. Right. It's very time consuming, very difficult. So I think it should serve a bigger purpose. And that's where I started pitching into different organizations. Finally, WWF International took it over. Love it, man. And how long were you there while you were shooting this? How long were you there? The entire shooting on and off uh, went on for just over six months. Mm-hmm. And we did, you know, at, at one stretch at once, we did over 20 full-day safaris. What 20 full-day safaris wow. means is... Yeah, that you enter the forest at 5 a.m. Right. and you exit the forest at 7.30 p.m. Right. Day in, day out in the month of May, 48 degrees Celsius. Insane. Yeah, the heat. Oh my gosh, it was painful. Especially because I'd come back from the U.S. that time. Right. And, you know, it, it, I was not used to the heat. Right. I forgot about Indian heat. Yeah. <laughs> Man, never yeah. forget Never forget, 48 degrees in, yeah, in the peak, of, peak of May, man. Yeah. But that sounds like something that needs, while it needs a lot of preparation, there isn't ever going to be preparation that's enough for no. everything that, that you see there. I mean, tell us about some of the stuff that happened there that you just didn't expect at all. Yeah. You know, being with wildlife, I had already accepted, expected and accepted the fact that some days are going to be completely off in terms of sightings. Mm-hmm. Uh, four or five days, we did not see tigers. We did not even see a proper cheetah deer because it was just so hot. No, mm-hmm. no animal wanted to move. They were only moving at nighttime uh, when we weren't able to be in the forest filming. And it just, we did not even press record, but we were still paying for the permits, still paying for the accommodation. And all of that was fine, you know, because I was like, look, it, it's, it's part of the deal. Mm-hmm. What I was not ready for is the internal turmoil right here that anybody goes through when you leave the comfort of a high-paying job, mm-hmm. a good apartment in Washington, D.C., your car, your friends, your dog. And then you move back to a country that has kind of become strange to you because you haven't lived in it for six years and right. all of your friends have moved on. So every day, like when I would be there, I would be thinking in my head, like, did I make the right decision? Mm-hmm. Am I messing things up? Like, what the hell am I doing? There was a lot of self-doubt, a lot of questioning, a lot of self-loathing, in fact, as well. Like, there were times that I was just like, look, this is not going to work. Fine, I'm going to make this film. And then if it works out, cool. But otherwise, I'm just going to go for masters. And I think that was the most difficult because, mm-hmm. because 10, 11 years of wildlife and the past 15, 20 years just spending around wildlife had taught me that it's never going to be easy to see animals. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think schools and colleges prepare you for what goes on in here. Yeah. 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 So I think that was the most difficult. And, and what did you fall back on then when that, when that self-doubt came in? What did you fall back on? Good question. I think it had to be like 
kind of, you know, as cliche it might sound like being in the moment. Mm-hmm. I was not able to be in the moment every single time, but those moments where something special was happening, mm-hmm. maybe a tiger walking towards me, or maybe right. we are hot on the hot on the track of a tiger, fresh bug marks, cubs fighting in the cave, all of that stuff, like completely erased all the doubts, erased all the hurt from the memory, because what was in front of me was the most real thing. Tigers right. have lived for millions and millions of years before humans and still surviving in a human-dominated country, landscape, planet. And if I can do my part in saving them, then how great would that be if, it's, if, if every single person can observe what I'm observing? Right. Like, it will enrich their lives. So I think it was those moments that really got me in. And I want to bring one specific moment, which, you know, people always say, okay, so it's the tigers. But it's not... One day I was very fed up and mm-hmm. I came back and jumped into the pool, 48 degrees, jumped into the pool and I was just like, maybe the water will cool me down. And it was just a time where where the lodge was completely empty. Nobody was there because they just returned from safaris. The sky was pink purple and suddenly black silhouettes formed near the skies and it was right. bats, the small right. bats. And then in front of me, they would come and swish their chest and then go up in the trees and then drink the water. Right. And they kept doing that for half an hour. And I had tears in my eyes because it was just so beautiful. Man. It was so pure. It was so pure. Like I could not pay enough to watch that scene again. That's amazing. And, uh, so and it's yeah, moments like sure. those. Yeah. That reinforces your faith that the decision that you just made was right. Right. That yeah. puts it like underlines it a yeah. couple of times saying, yep, this is the moment you, you made those hard calls Absolutely. for and this is the Absolutely. moment that you're enduring 50 degree heat in lack in of sleep and lack of sleep of and that. mosquitoes, man. I'm sure. Oh mosquitoes. my gosh. Don't even get me started <laughs> on mosquitoes. Uh, tell me this. Who inspired you? I mean, I know, I love, like I said, I love watching wildlife stuff, but you couldn't pay me. I mean, and I've, I've been to my fair share of jungle safaris and done like nighttime barbecues, illegal ones somewhere or daytime <laughs> cruises. I've done my, my fair share, right? You grew up in Nagpur, you've got like Penj and Taroba yeah. and Kana and a bunch <laughs> of things all close by. So I've done my fair share. But now, I, I'll just watch it on TV, right? I, I'm a couch person, right? But mm. who inspired you to, to get up and build towards this thing that you've been building towards, right? You said you got into wildlife at four or five, you got into filmmaking and now you got the two to meet and now you're super successful doing this, right? Who are your inspirations? I think when it comes to people in the industry itself, it has to be David Attenborough because he started at such a young age and at that time, nobody probably even cared about him. Nobody even cared about wildlife. Mm -hmm. How he started was actually, you know, he was capturing wild animals from the jungles and bringing them to 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 the zoos, right? Which now it seems weird, but at that time it was acceptable, right? And he started like that in a small real camera, and slowly his his show started picking up. Mm-hmm. There's Steve Baxter. Uh, there's of course Bear Grylls. Of course, he doesn't do wild, uh, even though his show is called Man vs Wild. It's mm-hmm. more about being a presenter and being out there. Right. When he started, like literally the industry was shitting on him for being a stuntman. Mm-hmm. But there's so much to be said about, you know, being really good at your craft and also presenting in front of camera and, and getting people to fall in love with nature and understand nature. So I think these guys, 
Steve Baxter was was also there. Steve Owen was also there. The Crocodile Hunter. The late, I late loved Steve him. Owen, yeah. yeah, I loved him. And these guys really played a huge role in my life. And I knew that, you know, if, if I wanted to do something, I have to create my own identity. I can't copy them or anything like that. I have to create my own identity. And somehow I need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And And I just started doing that somehow. I can't exactly pinpoint how it happened, but I think it was intentional work over the last many years mm-hmm. to get to this point. Love it, man. Before we go into the break, I want to ask you this. How did you break this to your parents when you did? <laughs> I mean, I, I always want to know uh, this from people who make radical shifts towards what is more or less a conventional, you know, salary job, the drug that yeah. is a salary to, yeah. to hey, this is my life's calling and this is what I'm going to spend my time doing. How did you break this news to your parents? How did they take I think I'm tremendously lucky when it comes to my parents because they've always supported me. When I played football professionally, uh, they supported me. When I wanted to go to university in the US, they said, okay. When I said that I want to work in Washington, D.C., of course, they supported me because it was a salary job. When I wanted to quit that job, of course, they had a lot of red flags. They were like, Peta, kya kar rahe ho? Are you sure you want to do this? Typical questions a parent would ask. But I think I have to commend them because they said, look, what you need to do is present us a plan. Tell us how you're going to make a living out of it. And then if you like it, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Prove it to us. I think if, if parents are listening to this or even if kids are listening to this, then at least for kids, present it to your parents. And for parents listening to this, I think if there's a proof of concept then an entrepreneur can can surely succeed, right? And I mean, come on, we are talking in an age where YouTubers are making $500,000 per month at the age of 17. Right. Who's going to tell them to leave that and join a corporate? Nobody. Right. I think it took a long time convincing them, but I have to give it to them. They, I'm very lucky. Absolutely amazing to have parents who actually support you, look at your heart. But at the same time, I had to prove it to them that I can make this my career. Love yeah. it, man. I, th- I think that's a great attitude for your parents to have. It's like, yeah, we believe in you, but belief doesn't put food on the table. <laughs> exactly. You show us what you've got when you're turning this thing from a hobby into a profession. Show us what your plan is. And I- I'm so glad that, that you've been able to do that to, to such a great degree. So on this side of this episode, we've talked to Suyash, the photographer. On the other side of the break, we will talk to Suyash, the conservationist and Suyash, the entrepreneur. This is Storytellers and Storysellers. I'm talking to Suyash Keshri. Be right back after these messages. And we're back. We're in conversation with Suyash Keshri. We're talking about how he started uh, Safari with Suyash, how he went from political consulting job in Washington, D.C., chasing donkeys and elephants to conserving tigers in the wild. Suyash, let me talk about your efforts as a conservationist, right? First and foremost, I'm going to ask you the dumbest question there is. Why should we care about saving animals? You know, we are at a very critical moment in the history where for the past few decades, we have been trying to conserve everything we have. But slowly and surely, even the things that we have conserved are getting etched out 
and and destroyed one small patch at a time. Mm-hmm. India used to be one of the most biodiverse countries in the world, and now it's not. It used to have one of the best places for to see wildlife, and mm-hmm. now it still does. But those places are few and far in between. Right. All of our wildlife places, all of our national parks, unfortunately, are becoming islands of paradise surrounded by a concrete ocean. Right. Why it's important is we're forgetting that these are our lungs. The you know the Delhi air. Mumbai, all the big cities, Delhi, Mumbai, Nagpur, Pune, even Bhopal in Madhya Pradesh, mm-hmm. uh, the air quality is pathetic these days. And if you're living in this kind of situation and still destroying forests, then we'd, we're, we're actually killing ourselves in the future. So if we maintain a good biodiversity, if we maintain good balance between nature and do it sustainably, I think we will be better off as species. And why animals are important is because let's take tigers, for instance, okay? A lot of people ask me, why do you work so much with tigers? Mm -hmm. Well, they are one of my favorite animals, but they're also one of the flagship species. Right. Majestic and beautiful, right? Yeah. What that means is that everything under the tiger is connected to the tiger and everything above the tiger is also connected to the tiger. Let's take frogs and honeybees for an instant. In a forest which tigers live in, frogs and honeybees live too. Let's take the tiger out of the ecosystem and ecosystem will do fine. There will be a lot more deer. There will there'll be a lot more diseased animals. Uh, but for, for, you know, at least 100, 200 years, the ecosystem will survive. But let's take the frog and the honeybee out of the ecosystem and the ecosystem will completely collapse within a few years. But usually if you tell someone, hey man, go and save this frog. Hey, go and save this honeybee. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't know why, but unfortunately for the masses, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I can watch a honeybee dazzling around for 10 hours, a toad or a frog in, the, in water for hours and hours, mm-hmm. but not everyone can do that. Most people right. find frogs disgusting. Most people are scared of honeybees, but right. everyone finds a tiger beautiful. Right. If you can get them to save the tiger, you can get them to save the honeybee and the frogs and every single animal that lives in the forest. So the forests that have tigers in India are the most protected reserves in the world. Mm-hmm. And those forests are our lungs. And that's why we must ensure that we protect them. Love it, man. And yeah. to be honest, I'd never thought of it like that. Never thought of it as conservation for a connected ecosystem when you talk about a flagship species like that and that's a very interesting way of looking at it my follow-up to you is you hit it on the head when you said most people find frogs disgusting or are scared of honeybees and yet we need more and more people to wake up to this cause uh, more and more people to realize that we've already done irreversible damage to to these ecosystems and to these species where would you suggest a lay person, an everyday person at home to start educating themselves on con- conservation or contribute to conservation in their own, yeah. own sort of meaningful yeah. but small way. Yeah. Uh, there are two ways actually that I can think of and and it's very different from what's out there. And one is of course our own platform, Safari with Suyash TV. Mm-hmm. We do India's first virtual safari experiences right. and world's first virtual safari in, in a tiger reserve where people can literally join a safari from the comfort of their home, learn how to track animals, learn how to identify different species of birds, mammals, uh, trees, insects, butterflies, learn the different calls of animals when they see a predator, learn the history of a national park, history of a tiger reserve, history of different tigers, 
and it's not scripted because it's 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 virtual mm-hmm. uh it's it's in real time unlike a lot of shows that are that are pre-recorded and then they edit and cut it out mm-hmm. uh, this literally feels like a safari so it's highly educational it's highly adventurous and and a lot of lot of learning and i think everyone who has watched our virtual safaris has absolutely found it very important um we we have our own platform so you can just look safari with suyash tv and the subscription is 5000 rupees but we have a discount going on which is 3000 right now for christmas and what we also do is we give uh, a free wildlife photography masterclass for 6 hours so people right. can learn wildlife photography right and i think answering your second question about conservation is you know i believe what we can see we can love and what we can love we will fight to protect right so if people are able to watch these kind of documentaries these kind of virtual safari experiences on my platform or other platforms or see my photography or see it in real life they are getting closer and closer to those animals understanding them more mm-hmm. and once they understanding them more they're f- going to be able to find ways to conserve it but from the comfort of the home people can find ways to donate people can find ways to volunteer or just cleaning up trash in your local neighborhood or local neighborhood park will go a long way because birds insects and small mammals live inside those parks as well and if you want to pick up one piece of trash a day do that if you want to pick up 10 kgs of trash a day do that but start somewhere people often complain but don't begin mm-hmm. recently in order to help people involve themselves in conservation we all i also launched conservation merchandise line mm-hmm. in which uh, it's called safari with siyash merchandise in which uh, we make different uh, merch merchandise apparel mm-hmm. and we are donating 100% of our profits to wildlife conservation efforts starting with building water holes in bandavgarh's water deficit areas so these are different different programs Beautiful. that people can 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 uh, you know engage themselves in love it man i mean i'm i'm so glad you've taken your passion to create solutions for people right. to be able to contribute right i mean it's pretty rare to see someone so young and i mean i I'm, i don't mean to be ageist about this whole thing but so young to have this kind of clarity and the passion and the drive to do this as well right i mean like you said people complain but they don't do much and, and i'm guilty of that as well I'm, i'm sure a bunch of my listeners are looking at themselves in their minds mirror and thinking hey why should why don't i do more sure. but that's 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 awesome man thank you you mentioned safari with suyash tv i know you've started a platform there that's a very interesting sort of yeah. way of doing things right i mean tell me how they, that came about what caused you to start out on your own ott journey i mean was it the fact that hey all these other otts just don't see it and and i've got to do it my own way or what was it what drove you to to starting it out on on your own Uh, again when we were doing these virtual safari the idea had been there for a virtual safari for 3 years mm-hmm. when we were trying to test these out we thought okay you know we'll do make we'll wa- make one or two for youtube and once we started developing the content once again i started realizing and my entire team said look this is good stuff it's not out there mm-hmm. why don't we approach someone so we thought of approaching someone but then we prepared all the materials but then we stopped we were like Look, we don't want to give the concept away to anybody else. Let's just try seeing how we can do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are all of us are young. I'm 25. My team is anywhere between 21 and 30. We're like, you know, if we fail, we fail. But what if we make something really big out of it, both for ourselves and for conservation efforts? 
let's see how much we can push it. And then the idea came that, okay, we're going to do it independently, but not on YouTube. Let's make our own platform. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you give it to anybody else, not only they own the concept, but also they have all creative rights to it. So all creative decisions are made by them. I've had a few document documentaries where in the beginning, and now I, I refuse to do these kind of documentaries where, for example, I was told not to take any country's names mm -hmm. when it comes to poaching. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I'm talking about poaching on tigers, the demand mostly comes for tiger bone wine, tiger bone soup, even tiger testicles, and mostly from China, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And I was told not to say those countries' names because that would be a problem for their funding efforts. I said, no, do hell with that. I want to say this. Uh, when Solo was was uh, poached, this tigress who I had known since she was four months old, mm -hmm. my season one was based on her. I wanted to call that out. Mm -hmm. And and thankfully, Brute gave me an opportunity to do that. And then my own documentaries gave me an opportunity to do that. And those were also the reasons that we wanted to keep the journey to ourselves and start our, our own platform. Mm -hmm. And then slowly the vision came to make it an OTT platform where there's subscription, where we retain everything, we retain our audience, and we show to people that all the youngsters out there that, you know, no matter what you're doing in life, if you always rely on others to, to reach somewhere, then you might not be successful. But if you create your own opportunity, create your, create your own path, then there's a way. And I'm not saying today, Safai with Siyash TV will become Netflix in five years, but maybe, you know, in the down the line, even if it doesn't make, become a Netflix, at least we have that impact to a niche and targeted audience. And at least we can say that we did it ourselves. And, and, and we created those opportunities for others because slowly we start, we employed other people as well. Mm -hmm. uh, a total of 16 different people were employed in it. And then of that, 10 were locals, uh, local tribal people. Then, of course, it helped so many other people inside Bandakar as well. So I think those small, small wins is really what makes me proud of this venture. Love it, man. And I think it yeah. makes a lot of sense to, to continue to own that and build your own brand, right? Yeah. Who knows? Five years later, you're creative director at NatGeo, man. I mean, who knows? <laughs> These things happen and they're known to happen. And this is, this is the time yeah. for, for it to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you, you brought up that bit about poaching and, and how it is something that often gets swept under the rug unless there's, you know, one of those uproars about, oh, hey, he's appointed that guy who shot that tiger who had who, that lion who had the dark mane I'm, I'm forgetting that guy's name Cecil the lion Cecil the lion that was the one right yeah. tell me something what stands in the way for stuff like this to be outlawed more efficiently or more effect, more effectively how are we failing how are we still failing at this lack of education is the number one problem across the world and especially in India we are taught in schools how many different you know wars Akbar won Mm -hmm. We're taught what happened in 1772 and 1356 or 10th century AD or 8th century AD. But we're not taught how to 
manage our emotions, manage our finances, save the environment, do something good for others, maybe start a social business, maybe network with others, maybe create an impact in society that is long lasting and helps many people, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe find a way to to solve a world problem such as poaching. We are not taught all of that. And, And I think the education misses a very important part because if you train students at a very young age about that, okay, these are problems and these are solutions. Mm-hmm. And these are real world problems and real world solutions instead of focusing on things that don't matter. I think the holistic education system is is what will do great de- deal of good in the world. Once again, when it comes to wildlife conservation, in most of the curriculums, 90% of the curriculums, it's not even there. Mm-hmm. I know that I did not study about wildlife conservation in school. Right. I only studied reuse, recycle, reduce or reduce, reuse, recycle. That's, right. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how do you reduce? Great catchphrase, but yeah, exactly. How do you reuse? Does anybody know how to how recycling happens? How do you reduce your your footprint? Does anybody know? Exactly. So I mean, for example, you cannot you cannot like if this is a glass. I can reuse it, but I can't recycle this. It's impossible. Right. If I use plastic water bottles, people think if you put it in a trash can in the dustbin that you'll be able to recycle it. No. If the plastic is layered inside with another substance, it cannot be recycled. Most of most of the bottle caps cannot be recycled if there's rubber in it. Right. Most of the cans cannot be recycled because all, all the cans are not only made of aluminum, they actually have a small plastic lining as well. So all of that stuff is so important for education that we actually taught solutions. We actually taught how to how to live a life and also create a life that is sustainable and also beneficial for all others. So for me, it all comes down to education. And I'm very, very, very passionate about getting good and better education. Love it, man. That was so well put. As we move towards the end of this episode, I've got a couple of questions sure. for you. First up, What's happening on season two of Safari with Suresh? <laughs> um, how are you pushing the boundaries from what you've already done? What's brewing? So uh, season one was, of course, Bandhagar National Park, five-part series for WWF International. And then season two was supposed to be in Africa. And then because of the pandemic, it, there were a lot of problems. I'll come back to this. So that's why over the year and a half we decided to launch our own platform and do virtual safaris mm-hmm. so I think that's a huge level up from season one mm-hmm. but at that time so now I'm going to backtrack at that time what season two was going to be a level up was it's season one was short episodes short crisp directly uh, to the audience season two was going to cover Africa's private game reserve model and show how private parties can help in conservation and we were going to cover the big five plus a lot of walking safari episodes. Right. So we'd already shot 50%, 40 to 50% of it in September and October of 2019. And I was supposed to go from April 2020, but then the pandemic came through. But when you see season two, whenever it comes out, you will see very close encounters with different animals, especially lions. Right. There were lions fighting right in front of me and I'm sitting on the on the ground. Oh, I've uh, seen a picture on your website. Is that, is that the same yeah. picture? Oh man, that's, that's, yeah. that looks insane. Yeah, yeah. rhinos. By the way, anyone listening, I do not recommend doing this. Please work with trained professionals. I am a trained professional. I know how to handle animals. There's nothing 
very sexy and cool about it even though it looks like outside it's life threatening and dangerous right. so don't try it at home right. or don't try it at by yourself so season 2 was going to be an up like that and i think if you see my first ever documentary which i made in 2016 on tracking lions on foot in africa from then to season 1 to season 2 and virtual safaris you really show see me growing as not only a person but as a wildlife presenter and conservationist how i put things together i think i'm really at a level where i need to continue starting to find ways to kind of really grip people's minds and imaginations and get them to fall in love with wildlife and and if i can do that then i'm succeeding love it man and and all yeah. the best to you for trying continuing to, to do that um A big fan Thank you so much. now of from Thank this you. conversation before i let you go <laughs> sure. i do this segment called water with vinit it's obviously not inspired by it. any other talk show that you might have heard of okay i'll put three questions to you you give me snap answers and okay and yeah that goes right is it like a rapid fire no it's not like a rapid fire i just told you it's not okay. inspired by any other <laughs> Wait, show i need I to just, understand what is water with vinit like i want to i want to I, i mean i i don't drink So I'm <laughs> going to make it like coffee with Vinit doesn't have the same alliteration yeah. going, and yeah. and then I thought, yeah, water with Vinit sounds all right, man. Fair, and fair, and fair. So the it, thing it's is, it's not vodka with Vinit; it's water with Vinit. It's water with Vinit, <laughs> and and that's the thing, right? Everyone drinks yeah. water, right? So if it's yeah. if it's Swish or love if it's a lion sitting here, they would drink water. Love it! I love it. I love <laughs> it. Makes sense, man. <laughs> all right. Um, my okay. first question to you on water with yeah. is: Give me your your sh- sort of shorthand on not being afraid of animals when you're in the wild with them. Like, how did you train? I think it's a mental training thing, as as much as anything. But that's just me talking from my couch. You tell me how you did. I trained with the best people in the field uh, who've been doing this for thirty, forty, fifty years. Mm-hmm. I learned everything from them. I learned a lot in in Central India, a lot in Africa, and the best way to deal with any wild animals is just to back off and slowly back away. Mm-hmm. Don't ever be in a position that is compromising to you. Always, always go into into the wild with a trained professional, with a trained guide. All of which are available in all of our national parks. So I think till the time you do that, you'll be fine. For me, the way I deal with it is I really, really study the animal's behavior, mm-hmm. and and I know that I'll never push the boundary because if I push the boundary, which people try doing, and some come out of it, some don't, I know that if I try pushing the boundary, and if something happens, I'm to blame. Wow. My next question to you is: What are the top three reserves or national parks that you shot in, been to? Number one has to be Bandhavgarh. It's home for me. Right. You have to come with me to Bandhavgarh, Vinit, and anyone listening. You have to have to come. It's I've hosted over, yeah, I've hosted over one hundred people in Bandhavgarh this year itself, right? Including Ravina Tandon, and she oh, loved wow. it. Oh <laughs> wow! Yeah, it was a great time. So you have to come to Bandhavgarh with me. Uh, number one has to be Bandhavgarh. Two has to be South Africa, and three right. has to be Costa Rica. Love it! Oh, Costa Rica! My sister's there for a trip right now. I know Costa Rica mm. is the world's most biodiverse area. Is there? Yes. Is it not? Yeah, I mean, most biodiverse area in terms of density and in terms of the size, because it's a small country. Small, exactly. Yeah, yeah. in terms of density. Yeah, yeah. yeah. species. Yeah. Yeah. Species per square kilometer. Yes. I think that's the yes. that's the math. Man, that sounds insane. Yeah. Right. My third question to you to wrap this whole thing up is your advice to parents of kids who want to take up photography as a career. Oh, 
I think photography, I'll, I'll be very honest, photography as a career is very, very difficult in India, especially wildlife photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, wedding photography, product photography is much easier when it comes to wildlife photography. There are very few people in India who are actually earning money from wildlife photography. What is earning money from wildlife photography? That you do assignments, you sell your prints, and that's your bread and butter. I'm a wildlife presenter. I present in front of camera, mm-hmm. I film, and I take people out on tours, and that's my bread and butter. So anybody who, who is trying to get into wildlife industry or any industry, and even in their parents, I think people need to learn how to take an entrepreneurial approach that mm-hmm. you will do A, B, and C to create product A, X, and then you'll do D, E, and F to market the product X, mm-hmm. and then use the funds from marketing to either reinvest it into your business or find a way to make make more plans and then half of it goes into social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the more impact you create, the better your brand becomes and the more impact you create, the more high you get. I think that's, that's, that's it for me. If I create an impact on someone's life, I get that high. I'm addicted to it. So for parents and kids, both, you have to find an entrepreneurial way to do it. You have to do it in a way that is business oriented. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget that money is important. I can't go into a national park if I can't pay for the permits. Right. I can't go into a national park if I can't find a place to stay in. I can't afford a camera. I can't afford this laptop or these airports. Money is essential. People forget that. Uh, I'm not talking about making billion dollars. I'm talking about at least getting by. Mm-hmm. Getting by comfortably. Love yeah, it. so I think I think you have to think of it in terms of business. Love it, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending this, this time with me. Super inspiring story, super inspiring work that you're doing. I wish you all the very best and all oh, the thank you so much, all the you. safety when you're doing <laughs> what you're doing. It sounds like you're on one in a million, maybe one in a few hundred million kind of a ride, man. Thank I look you. forward to seeing through your eyes the beautiful treasures that are for us. So I want to ask you this one question before I let you go. You've done jungles. What about oceans? I have swam with great white sharks. Oh, wow, man. But I haven't done much besides uh, a little bit of there, a little bit there, and then a little bit in Costa Rica. Yeah. Love it. So um, my, my goal is to film them properly one day. So the I hope we all get to see the jungles <laughs> and the oceans through yeah. your eyes more and more. I wish you Thank all you. the very best in your journey. Thank you so much once again for spending time Thank with you, us. I hope you had fun. Thank now. you. Yes, I absolutely had fun. Uh, thank you to you and your entire team for this opportunity. I love what you guys are doing and, and I loved talking to you. So we'll be in touch and I look forward to hosting in a safari. For sure, man. A hundred percent. That's it on this wonderful episode of Storytellers and Storytellers. This is me, Vineet Kanabar, saying goodbye. Stopping recording. 